a study through the book of Timothy. And uh, w- Timothy is, okay, so for, for 44 points, for 44 points, what kind, of, what kind of book is Timothy? It's one of the what? Epistles. Pastoral, okay, yeah, a bunch of people want points this morning. That's good. That's yeah, one of the pastoral epistles. There's how many, how many pastoral epistles? So you can count, right? <laughs> There's three of them. So it's 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. Now, I put them in that order because that's more likely the order in which they were written. So uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are the three pastoral epistles. They were written somewhere around 62 to 66 AD. These were some of the last letters Paul would have written uh, before he, would, he was beheaded, before he went home to be with the Lord. And uh, I'm going to recommend this. Uh, I've done this before. If you want a really good overview of the book. So you're like in 10 minutes, get a solid overview of the book and really kind of deal with a lot of it. Go to BibleProject.com and check it out. They've got lots of good videos on their site, BibleProject.com, and you get get a great overview. All right, so uh, in summary, you know, if I want to break it down, what's, what's this book about? There are false teachers in Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the, I mean, you know, Ephesus is one of the, the regions Paul went to and started the church there. And so there's, there's false teachers in Ephesus, and they're teaching myths, they're teaching speculations, they're, they have are, are both errant and heretical teachings from the scripture, they're teaching that you can connect to God ways other than through Christ. And, and so this false teaching is going on, and, and Paul sends Timothy, says, actually, Paul, Timothy was there, so Timothy, I'm going to leave you here while I head on, uh, and, and I want you to establish sound teaching. So this, this whole book is about sound teaching. That word sound means healthy, healthy teaching, healthy teaching. And we're not going uh, to, to dive in directly to it, but healthy teaching has two components. Two components is an inward component and an outward component. An inward component and an outward. And the inward, that's about, that's about our faith that changes us inside. The outward is about living that out. So if, if your faith is real, you will have an outward life of love. And, and, and this, this whole book is dealing with this issue. Now, this morning, uh, we're, we're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to be going through chapter 3. And Paul's talking about raising up godly leaders. So this is the issue here is raising up godly leaders. And I want us to, to look at this in, in the way that Paul has three areas of concern. He's looking at the, the church and he's looking at three areas of concern. He's concerned about the world, that the church affects the world. So he's, confer- he's concerned that the church be the church, which means then that families need to be families. The smallest, the smallest unit for Paul is family being families. When families are families, then the church is the church. When the church is the church, it reaches the world. How many think that's an important thing? You know, I was watching a, um, I was watching a video, as, as I do. Uh, it's a secular scholar. His name is uh, Douglas Murray. He's not, not a believer. He's a secular scholar. And um, he was uh, being interviewed on a site. Uh, it's a media site called, uh, um, uh, I forget what it's called. Rebel Wisdom. Rebel, I should remember that. Rebel Wisdom. It's a, and they're looking at how can we look at the world differently? 
And he said something on this. Now, I've, I've listened to Douglas Murray before, and he, he's the one I, I brought up before when he was talking about COVID. He said, you know, right now, the church needs to be the church. The world needs the church to be the church. This is someone on the outside telling us we need to be what we have always meant to be. He says, I don't need the church to tell me to wash my hands. I need the church to be the center of hope in the world. So I was listening to, uh, listening to this other video, and he says, this, this caught, my, this caught my, uh, my attention. He said this. He said, the only thing worse than religion, the only thing worse than religion is its absence. Do you catch the play there? He said, listen, he said, we live in a world where we, don't, we no longer have anything to hold on to. We, we can't even agree on what the facts are. He, he talks about Kevin Myers, an Irish journalist. He said, he said, the truth has become whatever you have inside of yourself. We can't, we can't agree on what's true. We can't even agree as to what happened in history. He says, the only thing worse than religion is its absence. He said, why? He says, because religion gives us certain fixed certainties. There's certain things we have to hold on to. And without it, we don't have anything to hold on to. He said, do you believe in justice? He said, well, there's no real justice in the world. If you don't hold on to a biblical faith, you have no hope of justice. He says, it's the biblical faith that gives us the whole idea of justice. He said, uh, um, how about the sanctity of human life? He says, how do you establish the sanctity of human life without Christian faith? Where does that come from? He says, we are meaning-seeking beings. We have to have meaning and purpose. He said, what gives us meaning and purpose? He says, that's, that's the purpose you get from your faith. That's what gives you meaning and purpose. He said, in, in a very, very short period of time in Western history, and I mean extremely short period of time, we've gone to the point where it's become almost uh, uh, very, very difficult to determine what's the difference between satire and reality. Anybody ever heard of Babylon B? Anybody? Oh, man, you got, you got to look up Babylon B, okay? If you like satire, let me put it this. If you like satire, you got to look up Babylon B. So Christian guys who put together these, these news headlines that are, that are satirical. They're meant to get us to think. They're meant to get us to go to the next level. And you know what these guys said? They said the biggest issue they have is how many things they'll put a, a headline up for satire, and three months later, it's not satire. It actually is true. Douglas Murray says this. He says, imagine this. Imagine you've been living your whole life campaigning for women's rights. You're campaigning for women's rights. And by the time you get to 2018, if you deny that a woman could have male biological parts, then you somehow become something of a disgusting, unimaginable bigot. He goes... He's, this is someone standing outside of the church looking in. Wanting the church to be the church. So I, I was listening to somebody, and I, I was talking to my wife this morning, and I cannot remember where I heard this. I didn't come up with this, but it's made me think. And this guy, he transformed his life, and he, and he transformed his life by asking himself this question. He said, he said, what is it, what is it I'm willing to die for? Have you ever asked yourself that question? 
What is it you're willing to die for? Jesus knows what it is he's willing to die for. Now ask yourself this question. Do you have it in your mind what it is you're willing to die for? Now here's my question. Will you live for it? Will you live for it? And you see, this is, it's, it's, this is the kind of concern Paul has as we come into the text today. This is what we're looking at. We're going to look at godly leaders. We're going to look at the qualifications for them and all that. But why is Paul even concerned about that? This is his concern. Number one, he wants the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach the end of the world. There's only one God. There's only one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus gave himself as a ransom. He died for all of us. And he says, I have been appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the world, in faith and in truth. He says, we have a a calling to reach the world. He says, and the primary means that that happens is the church. The way that that happens is the church. But remember, he says this, he says, the church is the household of God. The church is the household of God. And this is, this is in our text today. This is from the 15th verse. If I delay, Paul's talking to Timothy here. He says, if I delay, if I don't get to you uh, soon enough, you, you, may know how, how, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. What is he saying? He's saying, guys, we've got to reach the world. And the way we reach the world is we are God's household. We are God's household. He says, I'm reaching the world with faith and truth, and I reach the world with faith and truth by a church that is the faith and truth, that's living out the faith and truth. And he says, do you want to know what it looks like? I'll tell you simply what it looks like. It looks like a home. The church is to look like the home. So, so that means his concern is Families. Families. This is the household of God, in order for the household of God to reach the world, it needs to be made up of godly households. Amen? And he gets into, he gets into those qualifications with, uh, with the elders, and we'll look at this. So he's got three areas of concern. I want to reach the world. I need a godly church. If I need a godly church, I need godly households. So Paul's model, and, and I'm, I'm saying all this because it's his model, is if we want to understand when he says we need to raise up overseers, we need to raise up leaders, his model is the family. It's the home. That's the model he's following. Why? Because that's what God established all the way back in the very beginning. When you open up Genesis, what's the very first thing God did? Created family. Created family. And when we talk about the problems in culture, the problems in the world, what's the very thing the world's trying to destroy? Family. Do you see how the answer to what's going on in the world is when we live boldly, being who God's called us to be, just being family. Family in our own families and family together. And that gives a message to the world that there is something real you can hold on to. Something that is is based on a foundation that uh, that God created. It's real. It's a part of this world. It's not an imagination. Amen? All right. So... um, So this is... um, let me see if I'm hitting everything. 
All right, so we're going to talk about leaders. When we talk about leaders, we're going to talk about the qualifications. And there's a few qualifications that, you know, that may not apply to a lot of us here. But here's the point. The point is, is that who these guys are, these are guys who've gotten family right. They figured out have to family, and we'll see in the qualifications. They figured it out. So when you're reading this, I don't want us to read this and listen to this like, oh, this is just for leaders. This is just for them. They're the ones who have figured out how to do family right, how to live in this world. So these qualifications are as much for you and me as they are for the leaders, with a few exceptions. A few, a few exceptions. Are we all good there? One person's good. All right. <clears throat> um. All right. So our goal is reaching the world. We need godly church. If we need a godly church, we need godly leaders. Um, and, you know, this, this was an issue. It's not just an issue today. This has been an issue from the beginning. Paul sends Titus to, um, to Crete. And, and he says, what? He says, for there are many who are insubordinate, they're empty talkers, they're deceivers, especially of the circumcision party. And they have to be silenced. They're upsetting whole what? Families. By teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. Do you see Paul's concern? They're upsetting families. Why? Because they're false teachers upsetting what's going on and they need to be silenced. We need godly leaders who know how to raise families. Um, and then Paul in, in Ephesus here to Timothy says, I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So you've got the same thing going on in, in, in Ephesus. False teachers who are upsetting uh, the church. Now, I'm gonna, um, we're going we're gonna to get ready to go into the text. Uh, and we're going to talk about Raising up elders and deacons. Now, I want to make uh, this. We talked about this last week, but I want to bring it in um, just because it was the context from last week. So, we need to differentiate between two things. There's a differentiation between being in ministry and being an elder. Okay? There's a differentiation. Say it again. There's a differentiation in the scriptures between being in ministry and being an elder. And if we have time, we'll talk about it later. But the bottom line is every single one of us are called to ministry. There's not a, not, not a one of us that's not called to ministry. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, listen, God, Jesus gave gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These are gifts Jesus gave to the church. These, were, these gifts are not, um, uh, 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 just because someone has that gift doesn't necessarily mean they're an elder or an overseer. What are the purpose of those gifts? To equip the church for the work of ministry. To equip the church for the work of ministry. So, here's my point with that. If you are not an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or teacher, then you are the one to do ministry. Do you catch that? Because they're to disciple the church to do the ministry. So, we need to separate th these two things. Um, and, and in ministry... Ministry is open to the entire family of God. We have, and we talked about this last week, I'm not going to go into it, but men and women are fully equal before God in creation, in salvation, in value, in worth, in significance, in parenting, in prayer, in worship, in gifting, in gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of those things. We spent a lot of time last week talking about it. But Paul makes a distinction between the office of an elder and the call to ministry. And he uses the model of a family. He says the same way you had the father 
who is the servant leader of the family in the same way God calls men to be the servant leaders as elders and overseers. All right, so let's jump into the text, raising up elders and deacons. This is 1 Timothy 3.1. So this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he, he desires a noble task, a noble task. So in, in, uh, in overseeing the church, church governance it's called, Overseeing the church, there's only two offices. There's only two offices. One is an overseer slash elder, and the other is a deacon. Who's heard of elders before? Few people. Who's heard of deacons before? Okay, a few people. All right? So in the Bible, the terms that they use is overseer, elder, and deacon. That's it. That's the only two offices. The others that we talked about are giftings. So if someone is an elder, they have to have a gifting. But if someone has a gifting, it doesn't necessarily mean they're an elder. Do you follow that? Okay? If you're an elder, you have to have a gifting. But if you have a gifting, it doesn't necessarily mean you're an elder. And that's an important distinction in the scriptures. All right. Um, and, and we'll develop that out more. This is a commercial for Connect Group, so I'm not going to develop that out right now. Come on over to Connect Groups, and we can develop that out more. But let's look at what Paul says. First of all, he says, aspire to it. Desire it. Want to do it. Why would Paul say that? He's, what he's saying is, desire to be a mature example of the faith used by God. That's what he's saying. If you aspire to that, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, let's talk for a minute about these two offices. This is um, from Lexham Bible Dictionary. Just to kind of uh, read a little bit of definition so we can understand. What are they? So church, two church offices. We have the overseer and we have a deacon. Now an overseer, it's a, the Greek word episcopus, is equivalent to an elder. It's the same thing as an elder, an overseer and elder. And, and what, what does that? What characterizes that? They have pastoral oversight and care. It's why very often in a lot of churches you call them pastors. Okay? Um, but but in, as oversight, when they're in the office of oversight, they would be an overseer or an elder. They, they have ruling authority. Their, their goal is sound teaching, sound doctrine. Okay? And then you have the other office, which is deacon. Deacons don't hold a teaching or ruling authority. It doesn't mean they don't teach. It's they don't hold a teaching authority. It's a different, there's a difference or a distinction. And, but they exercise responsibility for the physical needs of the congregation. Everybody see the difference? Everybody clear? Is that clear as mud? Yeah, or coffee, a good cup of coffee. All right. So no, notice how this follows. This is just like a home. It's just like a home. Why? Because the overseer and the elder are called to be servant leaders, just like a father is called to be a servant leader in his home. Deacons are as appointed as servant leaders as well. Just like uh, um, all of us are called to be servant leaders to one another. Now, somebody might say, well, why do you have two terms, elder and, and overseer? What's the difference? Well, overseer, that, that term refers to the office, the, 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 the authority. Elder refers to the maturity. It has to be a mature person. Like, anybody say, you know, mind your elders? Everybody, anybody ever been told to mind their elders? Yeah, yeah. mind your elders. Okay, so that, that's the term. It has that sense of, there's, it's a mature person. There's wisdom there. All right, so um, if we go to the book of Acts, we see Luke talking about Ephesus, actually, referring to these offices that we just mentioned. So 
um, Paul uh, was, was, he was headed back to Jerusalem, and this was, you know, he, it's his last trip. It's his act, end of his third missionary journey. He knows he's going to run into something really hard and difficult. He thinks he may even lose his life going back there. And so he's taking the opportunity to meet with the different churches before he goes back. And this is, this is the setting. And so he's in, he's in the city of Miletus, which is near the coast, and he sends to Ephesus. Now notice the language. And he calls the elders of the church to come to him. He says, elders, come to me. And, and, and now later in the, in the same chapter, he's talking to the elders. And he says, listen, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Do you notice the term flock? You know, sheep, right? Pay careful attention to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So we see an overseer and elder are the same thing. To care for the church of God. That word care, it's the, same, it's the verb form of the word pastor. To pastor the flock. To take care of. Which he obtained by his own blood. Do you see how serious this is? This isn't a title to make somebody feel good. It's a servant leadership to care for what Jesus died for. This is the point. It's servant leadership to care for what Jesus died for. And he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. This is why I took the time to talk about what is going on in the world, what is going on in culture today. And if we are going to have an effect, we need to, we need to be the ones affecting culture, not having culture affect us. And we do that when we ourselves desire to raise up to the maturity that we would be servant leaders, that we would be ministers in the body of Christ. And it starts in our families. All right, so uh, down in, in Hebrews, I'm going to keep going. So, Paul gives certain qualifications for what makes an elder and what makes a deacon. And there's a lot of overlap between these two things. Now, there's a lot to learn as we look through these, as we read through these qualifications. Now, what's interesting to me is we read through them. I want you to see if you notice this. Notice this. Paul is more concerned with the character of the individual than the gifting of the individual. He's more concerned with the life of the individual than he is with the gifting. Now, does that mean he's not concerned with the gifting? No, he is. They have to be able, and we'll see this, they have to be able to teach. They have to be knowledgeable. They have to know sound doctrine. That learning has to be there. Otherwise, you can't refute the false doctrines that come in. But just getting that knowledge here is not the same thing as getting that knowledge here. And that's his point. So let's take a look at what these qualifications are. So the first one is high moral character. And this applies to both deacons and elders. Catch this applies to deacons. In other words, if you are in a position where I, you're not necessarily a ruling uh, uh, elder in the church, you're there as a leading in service, you still are called to high moral character. This is my point. My point is the way we reach the world is we reach the world, not the pastors, not the deacons, not the elders. We, the church, reaches the world. Amen? Or oh me. All right, number one. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. 
the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So notice all of these things are all character issues. Above reproach, somebody that's got a good reputation. Uh, we'll talk about husband and one wife in a few minutes. Sober-minded, it means they, they, they take things seriously. Self-controlled, they're, they're not moved by the passions of their flesh. They're respectable people. They're, everything, their life reflects a faith that is lived. Deacons, the same thing. This is in chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Once again, this is all talking about the character and nature we're to have as Christians. We're not double-tongued, not, not telling one thing here and a different thing here, not uh, spinning stories, not greedy for dishonest gain. So number one, high moral character. Number two, Proven family life. And this is tying to what I was saying earlier. It's families that make the family of God that reach the world. Therefore, an overseer must be the husband of, of one wife. All right, so this is a, um, this, this scripture, husband of one wife, is about five different definitions. And, and, uh, and, and there's a lot of confusion on it. Let me just tell you what it's not. It doesn't mean polygamy. Polygamy wasn't even a thing in that day. That's way, way, way before. They didn't believe in polygamy in that day. It, it doesn't have to do with being divorced and remarried. It doesn't have to do with being widowed and remarried. It doesn't have to do with being single. It's very simple. It just means this. You're a one-woman man. You're not a womanizer. That's what it means. And actually, you will find out later in the text, he says the same thing to widows. There's a one husband, you're a one man, wife, woman. He says you're a, a, the wife of, of one husband. And so it's, it's a lot of confusion that people have had. I've heard all kinds of confusion there, but that's what it's talking about because he's talking about character issues. And, and then he says this, he must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And here's my whole point. Let me read the thing about deacons, because it says the same thing about deacons. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. You see, it's the same thing. The same thing, it's about our families. Let me put it a different way to bring it straight home. The number one concern in our lives should be our families over our career, over our friendships, over our hobbies, over uh, our, our ambitions. And that is just directly the opposite of what the world should say. The world tells young men, well, the world just tells young men, just give it up. You're toxic and oppressive. Forget it. And it tells young ladies, forget marriage. You don't need it. You, you, you need to be focused about careers. Children aren't the way for you. That's, you're less if you do that. And the scripture says the only way we survive as a human race is if the family survives. Because that is the picture of, of the plan of God. That is the picture of what God created from the beginning. He says if you want to be a leader in the church, then, then be a leader in your home. Husbands and wives, children as well. This is huge. There is a reason why the number one thing being torn down in society is the family. You look at society and everything that's, that, that society tears down ultimately comes back to tearing down the family.
proven in ministry. He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. For overseers, for deacons, let them be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So, once again, uh, uh, the, the whole point is character. Character. They've demonstrated this in their lives over time. All right, so there's a few distinctions. We'll hit the distinctions. Uh, for overseers, Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy, an overseer must be hospitable. It means they, 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 they need to be welcoming to people. Okay, well, that would be kind of be important if you're going to be leading the church. You kind of have to be welcoming to people, right? No, you don't. Yeah. Number two, you have to have a re- good reputation in the world. See, Paul is concerned that our reputation in the world is good. Now, that doesn't mean that we do what the world wants to do. It means that we live lives of honesty, integrity. We live lives of demonstrated Christian uh, value to those around us. Not, not uh, attitudes in which we judge the world around us, but attitudes in which we serve the world around us. Now, will that ultimately, will those be spiritual battles? Yes. That's not what he's referring to. He's referring to as much as it depends on you. And then finally, uh, oh, there's a couple more. For an overseer, they have to have a a pastor or a teaching gift. They have to have a gifting that is a discipleship gifting. They have to be able to disciple people. That's one of the gifts for an overseer. For a deacon, they have to be well-trained in the faith. Now, what's important about that is what he's saying is, is all of us are called to be well-trained. We're all called to, to learn and to grow in our faith. All right, and uh, the, the interesting thing about deacons here, and this, is, um, this won't be in some of your Bibles, some of our Bibles it will be, is that deacons are open to men or women in the Scriptures. And, and I bring this up because it's a textual thing. We'll talk about it in, in Connect Group. But some translations will say their wives likewise. Other translations will say women. Um, and there's reasons for that. But we know throughout other parts of Scripture that there are women who serve uh, as deacons throughout the church. You see women serving in all kinds of ministries. The only thing you don't see women serving in the entire Scriptures anywhere is as an elder or an overseer. So uh, I covered that. All right, Lorena. So he closes out the chapter with this last passage here. He says this. He says, I, I hope to come to you soon. I read this earlier. But I'm writing, these things to, to, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And he says this. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Great indeed. Now, that, he's about to give a poem. And this is in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, Paul went through this uh, uh, trial there where the entire city was ye- yelling, Great indeed is Diana the goddess. Great indeed is Diana the goddess. And here's Paul, kind of a play off that language, saying, Great indeed are the deep truths, mystery, deep truths of godliness. And th- what is the deep truth of godliness? What is godliness? Godliness is an outward life of an inward change. That's what godliness is. Godliness is when you demonstrate outwardly what's inward. And so he gives this poem. He writes this poem, and we'll, again, we'll parse it out more in Connect Group. But I want us to hear this poem because this is the key. And it's very simple. It goes like this. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh. Take it to the next one. 
He was manifested in the flesh. What does that mean? He preexisted. And he came into the physical world. We have a faith that is based on something in reality, not something that's based outside on an imagination. He manifested in the flesh. Uh, he was vindicated by the Spirit. Once again, he, that vindication by the Spirit means he rose from the dead to demonstrate who he was. Number three, he was seen by angels. Now, what this is referencing to is that literally all of the heavens uh, see the, 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 uh, um, him taking his place next to the Father. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, it says. It says he tells the disciples before he ascends, he says, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Catch that again. All power in heaven and earth. Guys, this is the key for you and I living a godly life, Paul says. To understand who the person of Jesus was. Jesus came into this world. He died on our behalf. He rose and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So what does that lead to, the second half of the poem? Proclaimed among the nations, taking this message to the entire world, believed on in the world so that those, those of us who grab a hold of us have lives that are transformed, lives that are changed, taken up in glory, demonstrating the glory of Jesus in a world that's dying. That's the short version. We, start, we started the message with Douglas Murray saying, I would that the church would be the church. We're ending the message with saying, Jesus has made the way for the church to be the church. And Paul is calling for men and women to rise up and to live godly lives to make that difference in between. Amen? Amen.